Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. This last, first of all, I'm excited to preach. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a, a minute. Um, this last week, I discovered a, a new wave sound, a frequency that only kids can hear and adults can't. Anybody mindful of that? It's a great tool if you want to torment your children um, because they can hear it and it's really loud and annoying, but you can't as an adult. Uh, so if, if you're a student in here, man, please forgive me, but I'll probably torment you at one point or another with that sound because it's so fun. Uh, but but one, one of the things that I realized, one of the things that I realized is that the reason why adults cannot hear this frequency is is because we have been exposed to so many loud noises over long periods of time that it's dead in our cells to hear what we're supposed to hear. And, and I started thinking, like, there, there's nothing more frustrating. You can put up that first slide, Jay. It's good. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to hear and you can't hear. There's nothing more frustrating than you're, you're trying to lean in, but you just you can't hear. You're distracted. Anybody ever been on the phone? And you're on a really important phone call, and people in the background are just being incredibly loud, or maybe your kids are being a little bit loud, and it looks something like this. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Can you stop? Uh, yes, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Hold on one second, please. Are you serious? Right, have anybody ever been there? Because it's frustrating to, to not be able to hear when you know you really need to hear, when you know that it's really important. And I, I, think, I think many of us in the house today, we desperately need to hear from God. We want to hear from God. But there's so many other noises that have deadened ourselves spiritually so that God is speaking, but many times we can't hear him. God is talking to us, but we just can't quite make it out because there's so many noises. There's so many noises. Noises of, of, of frustration. I think noises of doubt, noises of laziness, <clears throat> excuse me, noises of pain, noises of heartache, just noises of distractions. Come on, Netflix, somebody. Just, just so many noises that we're really trying to hear God, but we can't. God is speaking, but it's so hard to hear what he's saying. You know, it's dangerous to be in that position. It's dangerous to be in a position that you should be listening, but you're not. Like this last week, I experienced it. So if anybody thought, if any of you thought that I, I'm a perfect pastor, which I know none of you guys do, but I just always like to bring in my life so that you know that I'm not. Uh, so that you're not putting me on a platform that you should never put me on because I still mess up. I blow it. I, 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 I don't get it right all the time. Come on, can I get an amen? Don't look at me like I'm the only one. But one of the things uh, this last week, I was really focused on something that we we're working on for the church. And, and Jackie, we're, we're, we, we're in ministry together, so we're, we're, we're partners in this deal. And she was, she was trying to talk to me. She said, babe, in regards to what we're doing, here are some deadlines. And, and I was really focused on one particular part of content, so I'm not a good multitasker. So I got a little short and snippy with her. Anybody ever experienced that? Where it kind of looks like, babe, I'm trying to focus, babe. I, what? You know, Maybe not that exaggerated, but, but she gets that feeling that, oh, like I, I can't interrupt. I'm trying to help you, and you're not letting me interrupt. But then I get a phone call a couple minutes later. Pastor Anthony calls me. 
And, you know, I take his call, and then we're, we're talking for about five minutes about nothing, right? Hey, what's up, Pastor? Hey, hey how you doing? And she's watching this whole thing. <laughs> and so as soon as I get off the phone, I look at her, I'm like, oh, no. She's like, oh, so Pastor Anthony can interrupt you for nothing, and I'm actually trying to help you be productive. And so how many of you guys know I went on a repentance tour for the rest of the day? I'm sorry. Um, and, and I think it's sad because sometimes we allow voices to interrupt that really have nothing to say, but we don't allow the one voice that should carry the most weight in our life interrupt our moments, our spaces. We, we, we allow so many interruptions for voices that don't matter, but don't give ear to the voice that really carries the most weight in our life. And can I just tell you guys that, that hearing from God is, is extremely important. It, it's extremely vital that you and I are hearing from the Lord. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Now, Jesus is speaking of sheep. Many times Jesus relates to us as sheep. And he says, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So he's leading the way. He's going out in front. It says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. Let me stop there. It's interesting to me that you can mix a bunch of sheep together with a multiplicity of shepherds, yet they will not follow another shepherd's voice. Like you could intermingle sheep. And all the one shepherd has to do, you can go on YouTube and watch some of this, it's really, really cool. A shepherd can just make a noise, the noise that he makes with his voice or her voice to communicate to the sheep. Like one, one guy you can watch, he just goes, oh, and you just see sheep flooding from the hillsides. It's incredible. I'm like, man, how in the world did you do that? Uh, one of my friends was in the Middle East, and he said that he was watching a, sh a shepherd lead his sheep, and he just had a staff. And he had like a rattle in his staff, and it was shh, shh. And he said all the sheep would just come around him. And so, so no matter, you know, where the sheep are mixed up in the other sheep, any other shepherd could say, oh, 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 and the sheep would not go anywhere. <laughs> but when they hear the voice of their shepherd, they respond. And, and it says that, it says that he, he goes out ahead of them, and I really believe this is, this is a prophetic word for somebody in here today, I believe for all of us really, is that this is what we're desperately in need of, is for God to go ahead of us. For God to go ahead of us in our finances. For God to go ahead of us in our relationships. For God to go ahead of us in our decisions. For God to go ahead of us in our pain, in our trial. For God to lead the way. But the only way that you and I are going to uh, be able to uh, be led by the good shepherd and allow him to go out ahead of us, we will not be able to do that if you and I are unable to hear his voice. Why? Because they follow him because they know his voice. What's interesting also is that sheep will never go with a stranger. In fact, Jesus continues and he says, he says, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, one of the things that, that always kind of intrigues me is why? Why are they so glued to the shepherd? Well, I, I think it's very clear. I think Psalms 23 paints a great picture for us. 
Like, why would I need to go somewhere else when I have a good shepherd? When I have green pastures and still waters. When I have a shepherd that restores my soul, that gives me a table in the presence of my enemies. When I've experienced the discipline, the safety, even the, the correction of the shepherd. Like, like the sheep just know, it's why go anywhere? Like it's so good. Like when I'm, I'm close to the good shepherd, it's so good. Why would I need to even go outside to any stranger's voice? No, I have a good shepherd. And that's why you and I, it's, it's so important for you and I, as Proverbs chapter 3 says, Proverbs chapter 3 says, listen for God's voice. This is a message version. I love how it's worded. It says, listen for God's voice in everything that you do and everywhere that you go, for he is the one who will keep you on track. So I, I just have a question for you today is what if you listened to God? What if you were able to hear God? What if you allowed him to go out in front in everything and everywhere? How would life be different? How would life be different with the shepherd out in front? How would it be different if you listen for God's voice in everything you do and everywhere you go? How would the game change? I think the game would change immensely in a lot of areas. Imagine every single area of your life God has the, the access to speak to. Because you are, are listening. Not, not just in a form of, of, of hearing the sound, but you are, you are hearing, you are comprehending, you are inhaling what God is speaking to. You're, you're embracing it. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that's where life changes. That's why the writer of Hebrews warns us. I believe it's a warning for us today. If, if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this passage down. He says, remember what it says today when you hear his voice. Don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Don't do it. Now, he's speaking of the exodus when Israel rebelled after seeing God do incredible things in their life. I mean, parting the Red Sea, manna from heaven, all these incredible works, all these incredible miracles, and yet they still harden their hearts toward the voice of God. And how did they do that? They did it through disobedience and unbelief. After all of that, it was like, God, nope, we don't believe you, and we don't want to follow you. What they were really saying is, God, we don't hear you. And what's incredible to me is that hearing is always connected to our heart. Or in other words, let me say it like this. Our ability to hear depends on the condition of our heart. And so a lot of times you're going you're gonna to see this in Scripture, that, that when it comes to hearing and your heart, there's, there's this, this unity there. That the condition of our heart will determine our ability to hear. And that's why in the scriptures, Jesus explains our heart as, as soil. I, I had a little, little example here somewhere. Where's it at? Oh, as soil. He says your, your, your heart is, is it's, it's like soil. Now, now soil is interesting. Soil does a couple of things. Soil is kind of gross a little bit. Um, but soil does a couple of things. It, it filters the water so it can hydrate without getting flooded, right? It just brings like a, a great balance, if you would. It, it regulates gases so that the, the plants and the roots are getting the proper oxygen that they need. And what it also does, it provides nutrients. It, it, it provides nutrients. It cultivates an environment that when the seed is planted, 
it'll grow. It cultivates an environment of growth. And so Jesus said, listen, if you want to understand how to hear, you, you need to pay attention to the condition of your heart. Like, like if you're not hearing me, the first place, the greatest place to start is with our heart. The greatest place to start is with our heart. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a, a little bit of some, some soil testing today. Because Jesus always equates our heart with soil and the word of God with seed. And so, so if you're taking notes, the, the first thing that if we are going to hear God, number one is we have to be passionate about the soil. Now, soil is, again, it's just not very exciting. Like all of us, we love and we're passionate about the harvest. Right, we love to go to our Trader Joe's and, and get all those vegetables and fruits. We just go and reap a harvest and spend a ton of money, right? And, and, and when we do that, it, it's, it's pretty enjoyable. The harvest is still hard, especially if you're out in the field, but it's a little bit more enjoyable because you're reaping something. You're, you're gaining something, right? So the, the hard work for the harvest is much more rewarding in the moment than the hard work of the soil. See, if I were to tell you, man, how many of you guys love the harvest? How many of you guys go to the grocery store, you get all your fruits and your vegetables, you're like, yes and amen. And then if I were to ask some of you, how many of you have a garden? How many of you do have a garden? All right. How many of you that garden is producing? That's the real question. Hands start to go down. Because it's, it's hard work. It's difficult work to, to tend the soil, to make sure that it's conditioned properly. It's, it's, nobody wants to deal with the soil. We, we want to reap the harvest. When I was, in, uh, when I was in, uh, in Montana, I was invited by an older pastor uh, who's, oh, who's become just another father in the faith to me. And uh, we were in Israel together, and he invited me on this Montana trip. And so he just sits around. He's from South Africa, so he has an accent. Just a man of God. And he said, you know, Matt, these young guys... They're so passionate about the harvest. He said, but if you are passionate about the harvest, you need to be passionate about the soil. I was like, man, this is deep. Keep going, right? Where, where are you going? He said, man, he said, listen, these young pastors should be excited about the harvest. They should be passionate about the harvest because there's so many people that we need to reach. But if we are passionate to reach people, we're going to be just as passionate about the soil, about where things are growing about when we reap the harvest, what's happening with hearts and lives on the journey. Because the harvest is easy. It's, the harvest can be hard, but there's a, a reward. But soil, it, it takes time. It's cultivating. It's, it's, it's cultivating an atmosphere with the hope of, with the promise of, but yet no reward immediately. So it's just not as fun. Who wants to deal with the soil? We want to reap the harvest. But Jesus describes our hearts. As soil. And in this parable that we're going to look at, he, he describes our heart in, in three particular areas. Let me show you the first one. The first one I'm going to call the contaminated soil. And he gives us three illustrations of, of conditions of our heart or the soil of our heart that keep us from the word of God. That keep us from God's very best. That keep us from the abundant life that God has called us to. And reduces our life to the enemy's world of stealing, killing, destroying, and idol worship. And so, so he says those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. 
Jesus describe it, describes it like a bird coming and taking a seed before it's able to take root. So that they may not believe and be saved. Now, the contaminated soil works in a, a couple of different ways. Uh, I, I think when we think about the enemy snatching the seed, what does that even look like? Like, how does the enemy snatch the seed? I think there's a lot of different variables we could talk about, but can I, let me just talk about two briefly. Is I think a lot of times he snatches the seed by, by influence. Influence our decisions by creating lots of loud noises. That we find ourselves, and sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position where the seed is not taking root because of our own decisions and choices that we're making. Or for a perpetual life of sin that we find ourselves in. See, the truth of the matter is all of us sin all the time. But I'm talking about patterns of unrepentant sin. Patterns of, of where God is saying, whoa, 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 that's not my best. And you're like, I hear, but I don't hear. I'm going to continue to walk in this pattern. And the enemy is able to, to come and snatch the seed away. Come on, you don't want to do that. Come on, with whispers. I, I think another way is, is maybe not so much from your choices, but from other people's choices. That have caused us hurt and pain. And so you're kind of minding your own business, but now you're wounded. Now you're affected by somebody else's decision. And it's caused those things like unforgiveness. We talked about last week, bitterness or two weeks ago, we, uh, bitterness and unforgiveness and resentment and, and things that clog up the flow, that block the frequency. You know, one of, one of the most scariest passages for me is the Lord said, when you're at odds with your wife, I don't even hear you. How many of you guys know I work hard to be right with my wife? That's, that's what I'm saying. In, in relationships, it's so important we have this God filter because it changes the way we see God that, and, and the way that we see one another. But, but, but I think it's important that, that these things clog up the pathway, gossip. There's nothing that will clog up you from hearing God more than gossip and division. You know, these are areas, these are things that, that the enemy just says, you don't even stand a chance as you're walking on that path. You don't even stand a chance. Let me just come and snatch that seed. And then he goes on to say there's not only the contaminated soil, but the next one is there's convenient soil. The convenient soil. Now this one states this, that the rocky, the rocky soil represents those who hear the message with joy. But like young plants in such soil, their roots don't go very deep. And they believe for a while, but they wilt when the hot winds of testing blow. And so, so this one is, you know, it's, they receive it. They, they love what they're hearing. But it doesn't go deep. It never really catches for example, I, I think this is a great picture of cultural Christianity. Where, man, I love, man, I, man on Sunday morning, this is, I love the word. I love it, just don't let it cost me anything. Like the moment it actually cost me, like, I, you mean I got to do something? I got to, I got to re repent or I got to, I got to switch gears. Or, or maybe God even wants to, to love you. And you're just like, man, it's going to cost me vulnerability. I just, I just, the moment it starts to cost you, the moment times of testing or trial come, it quickly, it quickly, it, it can't, it, it doesn't have the moisture to go deep. It just dries up real quick. It's, it's the Sunday morning. It's, it's, yeah, I'm good. Just don't ask me to be a part of that serve team. Like, I'm good on Sundays. Just don't, just don't let it cost me anything. Just don't let it cost me. Are you guys with me this morning? Am I preaching to somebody? And so... So we, we, we have to be mindful. He's speaking about the condition of our heart. He goes on to the third one. The third one is the immature soil. 
I think this is, this is, this is a huge deal. Not just, this is a huge deal in the church. He said, the seed that fell among the weeds stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they don't mature. They don't mature. Now, anybody uh, ever see a yard full of weeds? If you never have, I'll invite you to my house and I'll show you what it looks like. But, but when you see a yard full of weed, what, weeds, what, what comes to your mind? Neglect. Like it's just been neglected. It's like we've been going, we've been living life, we've been doing stuff, but we have not paid attention to the soil. It's just neglected. There's so many things wrong. You can't eat, it's, you're lucky if you see an actual real plant. You're like, is that a plant or a weed? What is that? Is that for real? Is, that, or, is this one good? Right? Because you, you just don't know. It's, they're, they're so intertwined. And, and, and Jesus is saying, it, this, the seed gets choked out by life's worries. This w- word worry, it means to be divided. It means it's a divided heart. Like I got one foot in and one foot out. Like I'm with you, God, on Sunday, but on Monday I'm kind of doing my own thing. Like I'm with you here. And so a lot of times we think that worries is just like simply, I'm just worried about something. No, it's a divided heart that's torn between God and the world, a heart that's just torn. It's just caught in the weeds. And he goes on to say the, the riches. Now riches, it, it simply means abundance. It means possessions. Like, man, I, I got to keep this up. I got to keep this lifestyle up. I got to keep going. I got to, so I'm just so consumed with what I have. I'm so consumed with my stuff or what I don't have that I'm in pursuit of. A lot of times when we think of possessions, we think, oh, that's just people that have money. No, no, no. That means that people are pursuing that with everything they are, that it's an idol. And they have no space for the seed of the word. And then, the, then he says the, 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 the pleasures. Now, this word pleasure, it comes from the idea of sensual lust. It means what's pleasurable to the body. And can I just tell you, man, this is a huge one for people. Because, man, we live in such a high-volume sexual climate with, you know, everything available to you at a click of a button. We have, you know, relationships. There's, there's not a lot of boundaries or, or, or even understanding of what a healthy relationship looks like. So we just keep giving into pleasure and we wonder why. Why are we stuck? Why am I, why am I not hearing? Why, why does it feel like just something's clogged? We gotta, we gotta be passionate about the soil. We have to pay attention to that which we don't want to pay attention to. Might, might I say it like this? We need to be honest about the soil. It's one thing to be passionate. Yeah, I know that's real, but it's another thing to be honest with where you're at, where I'm at. And can I just tell you, we need to examine the soil on a regular basis, on a regular basis. And we need to make some changes. Why is that? If you take a note, jot this down. Is that when maturity comes, when we stop making excuses and we start making changes. Like we, we have to grow. Like we're seeing what's happening in the world today. I believe that the answer for that is the local church. Fully in full operation. Unashamed, unapologetic. Operating in, in both truth and power. But how can we do that if we can't even hear? Some of our homes, some of our hearts are desperate to hear God. And I'm saying, listen, sometimes there's moments where God is silent, but even when God is silent, he's still speaking. 
And we have to lean in. We cannot stop. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what the test is, we have to continue to lean into the soil. And so I, I love what James says. James, James says it like this. Get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. Let me stop right there. Notice how like possessions and all these things, these pursuits, they're not necessarily always bad. Sometimes it's just an over-desire for something good. It's an epitomeo. It's, it's, a, it's an over-desire. It's a lust for something that's good that we've turned into God. So a lot of times when James is saying, get rid of all the filth and the evil, it's not just bad things. You're like, I'm not really that filthy. I don't really feel that evil. But maybe it's good things that have become ultimate things that are keeping you from the best thing of hearing God's voice. And so the message of God, he says, get rid of all that in your lives and humbly. How do we get rid of it? How do we get rid of all this junk? By humbly accepting the message God has planted in our hearts, for it is strong enough to save your souls. Now that passage would be amazing if we actually put ourselves in a position to hear and to receive. But if we never put ourselves in a position to hear or receive, how can we even humble ourselves to receive the word if we're not hearing it? And let me give you a staggering statistic. 2019, the Barna Group came out with this, that more Americans overall are reading their Bible, but many Christians are reading it less. What in the world? Isn't it just like the enemy to say, let me snatch the seed here in the church so they don't reap the harvest that's dying for an answer? I mean, think about that. Let me get them to compromise their soil so they can't help somebody else with theirs. Like the harvest is ripe, but we are too distracted. We're pulled about. There's so many things going on in our life. And, and let me just give you, if you're going through a lot of pain, I'm, I'm not mitigating that. I'm not saying get over your pain and just start here from God. No, I, I'm just saying that in the midst of your pain, pay attention to the soil. Pay attention to the soil. I'm, I, you, may, you desperately need to hear God in your pain right now. And so just lean in. Don't stop leaning in. Just pay attention to the soil and keep drawing near to God. Because I promise you, God is speaking. God has not left you. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So I'm not trying to make light of your pain. I'm just saying, can we pay attention to the soil? But we're never going to be able to if we're not putting ourselves in a position to hear. So that's why my second and my last point is this. Is that we need to be relentless with God's word. We need to be passionate about the soul, and we need to be relentless with God's word. What does relentless mean? It means persistent, continuing, constant, never-ending, steady, uninterrupted, continual, continuous, nonstop, lasting, unrelenting, unrelieved, sustained, unending, perpetual, unremitting. You guys get the point? Relentless with the word of God. But I think the reason why so many of us, even in church, we're not relentless with God's word. Like, let's just keep it real. Let's be honest. It's, I think, because there's some level of doubt and a barrier that you're wondering this question. If you're taking notes, jot this down. You're wondering this question is that, is what we're reading really what was written? Like, is this book really reliable? How can I trust it? I mean, isn't it just, you know, been rewritten over thousands of years, passed down through generation? I know it has some good principles, but it is, is it really alive? Is it really active? Can I, really, can I really count on the credibility of the scriptures? Do I really know if I'm hearing from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Like, is that, is that real? Like, or am I just, you know, just a bunch of, you know, letters that were passed down and manipulated? Listen, can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if that's ever been your perspective, and somebody's ever told you that, it's somebody who is ignorant and has not done their research. And I'm going to prove it to you. So when we look at a couple of things, like we go throughout history, I'm going to give you a quick master class. Are you guys good with that? Because I think it's going to open up our hearts for some of us 
that would say, man, maybe I need to give this thing a second look. Like when we look at Plato, Plato did most of his writing, all of his writing between 427 and 347 B.C. The earliest manuscript we have of Plato is 900 A.D., which leaves a 1,200-year gap in between where we have the, the him living and the actual writing. That's a long time. It's a very long time. And we only have seven copies. But today, no one is questioning Plato's Republic. Nobody's like, oh, man, uh, not sure if Plato really wrote that. Because it's, these writings go through a, a historicity test. There's ways that scholars come up to, to validate a document. And we're going to talk about just some of those ways. But let's look at Aristotle. Not quite a contemporary of Plato, but he lived 384 to 322 B.C., earliest manuscript, 1100 A.D., 1400 years gap between the life and the earliest manuscript and 49 copies. That's crazy. What, what about, I, I always pronounce this guy's name wrong, Tacitus. That's what we're going to say. Date written 100 A.D., earliest manuscript, 1100 A.D., a 1,000-year gap with 20 copies. Nobody's questioning these documents as being accurate. As being a document that you can trust, that if you, as we look at the copies, that it's, they're saying that we trust that this is from, this is really the writing of Plato. Now look at the New Testament. My Lord. New Testament, day written between 50 and 100 A.D., meaning majority of the New Testament was written during the time of Jesus and shortly thereafter. Meaning people could easily refute the New Testament because people were still alive. They'd be like, Jesus didn't do that. Well, that's, that's not true. Second century A.D., earliest manuscript, less than 100 years with 5,686 copies in the Greek alone, not to, not to count the over 25,000 copies that are written in Aramaic and all these Syriac, all these different languages, but just the Greek alone, 5,686 copies. The New Testament is the most widely attested historical accurate document in the world. And so anybody that's told you that, oh, the Bible's just been written, you know, passed down, centuries been diluted, that is a false narrative. They listened to some professor that did not do his homework. And so, so I'm here to show you, but you may say, all right, but that's cool, but how, what about the accuracy? Well, let's look at the Old Testament. Old Testament, the, the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah until 1946 was the oldest copy of Isaiah. The oldest copy of Isaiah was, was discovered was in the Codex Leningrad. And so until 1946, the oldest copy of Isaiah discovered was in the Codex Leningrad, and the earliest copy was of 1008 A.D. Now let me, let me explain. Isaiah lived about 500 years before Jesus. So this is a pretty huge gap. This is almost about what, between a 14 and 1500-year gap from the earliest manuscript that we have of Isaiah. This is where a lot of atheists, this is where a lot of uh, uh, critics would just ride on the Old Testament. How can we really rely on this? How can we, you know, how can we depend on these, these writings, how do we know that they're really accurate, and they would just beat this up over and over and over until 1946. Why? Well, first of all, it's important to understand that we take away sometimes from the Jewish importance of transcribing the Holy Scriptures, of how they saw it, how they, they broke stuff down. Meaning when they were writing a part of a scroll, there would be two other rabbis over the shoulder looking at the scribe who's writing, and if there was any variance, any variance, they would, they, they would either initial it, all three initial it, or they would wipe the entire manuscript out. 
Because that's just how sacred it was. Like this wasn't just some guy in a closet somewhere just copying down the text. No, this was done in open. This was a team effort because it was too vitally important to do so. So people would ridicule, especially like the book of Isaiah, like how can we even, I mean, look at the gap. I mean, how can we even trust it until 1946? God has such a big sense of humor. The Dead Sea Scrolls were found in Israel. And the great Isaiah scroll was found in, with an intact copy of Isaiah dating to 100 B.C. So we just wiped off in 1946 1,100 years. And now they're like, uh-oh. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, let's compare the documents. When they compared the documents, look what they found, that the text was 99% identical. 99% identical. And the only variances were spelling, and they had nothing to do with meaning or context. And so this right here was a huge, this one silenced the mouth of so many critics because of the accuracy. They say that in the scriptures, actually I'll, I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. So, so what am I saying? I'm saying that as you read your Bible, that you can be assured that you're reading what was written. You can be confident that you're reading from Mark, you're reading from Matthew, you're reading from Luke, you're reading from John, you're reading from Paul. You can be confident in that. It doesn't necessarily make it true, but I just want to say that you, you can be confident that you are reading what is written. You see, you may ask another question. You may ask this question. You may say, weren't there other books that should have been included in the Bible that were excluded creating a biased account? Like, weren't there other Gospels? Gospel of Thomas, the secret Gospel of Peter. Like, weren't these other Gospels that, that, that should have been added but weren't? See, when the canon of Scripture was being put together, when they were, com when they were putting the, the, the Scriptures together, it wasn't like guys just sat around and said, which one do you like, bro? I don't know, I kind of like Mark. Cool. I think Paul's stuff is pretty legit. Let's go ahead and, let's go and add a couple of Pauls. No. There was, a, there was a very strict criteria. In fact, there was, there was a criteria that they used. And let me show you the first thing that they used. First thing they used was apostolic authority, meaning was it written by somebody who was an apostle or an eyewitness? Like, like how close were these guys to Jesus? How, how close were these guys to the actual account? Are you guys tracking with me? The second thing they used was congruency. And this was, was it consistent with what the early Christians believed to be true? Now, you might say this is like a confirmation bias, but, but it could be an accuracy bias. Or it's like, hey, KD got traded from the Warriors. Are you serious? Is that for real? I saw it on Facebook. Are you sure? Did it really happen? Like, we always ask that question, right? We're always trying to figure out, like, man, did it really happen? Was it just a Facebook deal? Or did KD really get transferred? Bless his soul. <laughs> right? Get on out of here, KD. And so, so was it congruent? The, the third one is this, is, is acceptance. Was the letter widely used and accepted in the early church? Like before the printing press was there and all that stuff, like was this, was this widely accepted? And then there was a couple other ones. Let me just show you real quick. The, the time that it was written, the context and the location. See, a lot of these extra gospels were written not even close to the context were uh, the time was extremely lengthy, and the cultural inaccuracies, anybody in that culture would be like, that's ridiculous. 
And so a lot of these things that you hear, well, there was extra gospels and people, they just put the ones that they wanted in there, try to manipulate and use their power. It's not true. And anybody that's done their homework will realize that it's not true. One of the biggest contests one is the Gospel of Thomas. Gospel of Thomas. You know in the Gospel of Thomas says that five-year-old Jesus freeze-dried a, freeze a friend. Like, imagine that. Five-year-old Jesus said, you know what? I'm just not really feeling this. It's right up, buddy. It didn't say like freeze-dried. But if you look at the original text in the Gospel of Thomas, it basically means that he dried somebody up. They shriveled up like a tree, um, would shrivel up. Now, now, when you look at the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Thomas fails all of these criterias. All of them. And so anybody, any scholar in their right mind would say, this is not consistent. So it's not like people were just like, hey, we don't like Thomas, let's put. And not to mention that all of these books were written far after these guys had died. So let me show you what that would be like. That would be like this. Imagine somebody publishing a book today arguing it was written by John F. Kennedy. We would obviously say this book wasn't historical. JFK has been dead since 1963. In that same way, these books were written long after people who claimed to have written them were dead. So the problem is a lot of times, guys, we just don't do our homework. But Luke said, I, I did. Luke said, look what Luke said. We miss this sometimes. It's in the beginning of Luke. So sometimes we just get through the intro because we want to get to the meat. But look what Luke says. He says, many people have set out to write accounts. A lot of them. A lot of people have. They've tried to set accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circul circulating among us from the early disciples. Continue. He says, having carefully investigated everything, Luke said, from the beginning, I have also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus or lover of God. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke's like, hey, man, these things have been carefully thought out. And Jesus was not freeze-drying people. That just was not the case, right? It just wasn't the case. Now, some of you guys are sitting there and you're like, okay, but what about the contradictions in the Bible? Like, what about the contradictions? Now, when we look at contradictions, there, there's a couple of different things I want to point your minds to. Like, in the Gospels, one of the arguments from skeptics is the inconsistency in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, what we have is not inconsistencies. We have different viewpoints. And, and anybody who's in law enforcement knows that if everybody in a, let's say, a criminal ring that got captured has the same story, it's probably been devised, right? Or, or it's been, they came up with it. It's, it's part of the plan. But, but I think the inconsistency or the, or the different viewpoints in the Gospels actually give the Bible credibility. Because they're, they're giving an honest account of, of what they saw at the same event. How many of you guys know that we have a lot of different news channels? We accept this on a wide variety in, in our culture today. Like you're, you could watch CNN, you can watch MSNBC, you can watch Fox News, you can watch all these different news channels. And they're all going to give you a different a viewpoint of the same event. If they, Once they start all saying the same thing, we're like, man, they're on the right or they're on the left, right? We just, we know that it's like part of the plan. And so it's almost like these different viewpoints give credibility to the witness. That they're giving an accurate account. And, and also there's different retellings. Like Jesus didn't tell the parable just one time. Like just one time and everybody got it. No, he's telling these things all the time. And so when we look at the four Gospels, let me show you. When we look at the four Gospels, they pass the m multiple reliability, te reliability tests. They say the same things independently. They are consistent with Palestinian culture in the first century. And they were written close to the life of Jesus. And, and it's, it's, just, it's just amazing how that works. 
I mean, just get, get this picture in your mind. Like, like, the way that God orchestrated things, is, it's just phenomenal. It's, and it's not just like this whim of faith. Paul's argument for Christianity was not a blind faith. It wasn't like, hey, just kind of hope. No, Jesus lived his life in public. He died in public. He was raised from the dead. And over 500 witnesses saw him alive. That's not like he was in this hidden corner somewhere and all of this conspiracy stuff was happening. Not to mention all the disciples gave their life for that truth. Except for John, he was exiled into the island of Patmos where he spent the rest of his day there. But even then, when he was exiled, God gave him the book of Revelation. Can I just tell you, no matter how far or whatever the enemy tries to do, you can, he cannot thwart the purposes of God in your life. And he will use everything that the enemy meant for harm, and he'll work it out for your good. He'll work it out for your good. And so if, if that's not incredible enough, and I'm running out of time, that's not incredible enough, I, I, want, you to, I want you to think about this for a moment. 66 books written over a a span of several thousand years, over 40 different writers, all harmoniously pointing to one person. Let me show you that on the screen. 66 books, 40 different writers, all pointing to one person, meaning Jesus. Like, how do you do that? Prophecies fulfilled. God has been consistent. It's funny, one of the guy, one gentleman that tried to, very powerful gentleman, tried to overthrow and wipe out the Bible. He ended up going insane. After he died, they, they used his house for a printing press for scriptures. Like you just can't out, just can't outdo God. Like his word has outlasted kings and kingdoms, civilizations, empires, and emperors. And for us just to be on here 39 mesial years, think that I know better than him. Like, come on. That's not even wise. So what am I saying today? I'm, I'm hoping that just some of these barriers might be removed. That you might say, maybe I need to be a little bit more relentless with the word of God in my life. The word, the word of God that I can stand on, that's an, an anchor for my soul. That I might be like this good soil. Let me show you. This good soil, Jesus said, is, is one that stands with a noble and a good heart who hears the word and retains it. And by persevering produces a crop. I, I want you to produce fruit in your life. I don't want to cultivate Sunday Christians. That's not going to produce fruit. Are you hearing me? You'll wither away. You'll fall away. Either the enemy will snatch the seed, you'll remain immature, or you'll be distracted. You'll be distracted. And you'll stay stuck in that place. I don't want you stuck. I want you to bear much fruit. So, so what am I saying? I'm saying this. I'm saying we need, to, we need to tune down. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down so we can turn up. We need to tune down the volume of the world so that we can turn up towards God. Come on, you guys got to laugh a little bit, right? Turn up towards God so that we can hear his voice. So how are we going to hear his voice? We've got to tune everything else down. Listen, we don't want to have a convenient soil. We want to have good soil that stands the test of time, that goes. So, so let, me, let me just show you, let me just show you an opportunity. If maybe you're saying, man, I don't know where to start. We have a one-year Bible that you can start jumping into. But we're also getting ready to partner with the Bible College. Uh, NCBC, you probably see their sign upstairs. They're fully accredited Bible College. And we're getting ready to partner this fall 
where we're going to be able to offer um, uh, all of the Bible classes on audit. So meaning if you just want to grow in your faith, grow in your knowledge of the word, man, it's simply you just have to pay for the packet, which is like 25 bucks, and you can just come and get all of the training. You can get a certificate if you want a certificate that can be used later for credit, or you can get a full Bible degree right here on a Wednesday night and online starting this September. And so we, we want to create pathways for you to get engaged, to get on board. We want to create pathways of you to, to, to embrace the word of God in such a way. Listen, because if you listen to him in everything and everywhere, life changes. Life changes. So I, I, I close with this. Let's take heed to what James says. James says, once again, get rid of all the filth and evil in your life. How do you do that? Humbly accept the message that God has planted in your hearts, for it is strong enough to save your soul. And can I even just say, and it's strong enough and powerful us to meet you in your situation. If we're going to be passionate about the harvest, we have to be passionate about the soil.